Are you that weirdo that thinks scientific research is kind of sexy? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. All right. Well, hello there and welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. Ooh, ooh. Oh, man, I just can't stop the noises coming out of my face. It's all right, though. Well, see you later, half of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, we are drinking something kind of special in honor of our new Italian listeners. We got our stats, and Italy has joined the party. I, I think it's new, right? Yeah. I think Italy's new on our list. Yeah. Buongiorno. Oh, my God. No. They're out of here. No. Please stay. <laughs> oh, actually, in honor of Italy, we are drinking an, a traditional Italian dessert, but we turned it into a cocktail, and it's a affogato. 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 It is ice cream with a hot espresso pour over. I added coffee liqueur and caramel vodka. Um, You're so extra. I am so extra. But you know what? I love things like this where you could have it uh, non-alcoholic or alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And it's delicious. And I went to a little Italian market I have in my town and I got homemade fresh vanilla bean ice cream. Delicious. And it's so good. I also have a really good gelato place. So maybe next time I'll try gelato. So good. Are you team gelato or team ice cream? I'm team both. Oh, I love I love all cold sweet desserts. Cold, cold, like my heart. (laughs) I love this drink. It's so um, indulgent, and Mm -hmm. I agree. I do like a drink that can that can be alcoholic or Mm non-alcoholic, whatever you are in the mood for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and I'm definitely in the mood for a drink because what a freaking week it's been. I'm wearing my emotional support robe. Uh, <laughs> good gravy. I need a stiff one. And by that, I mean a strong cocktail and an even stronger orgasm. Fair enough. Um, but all jokes aside, I just want to say Tiff and I started this podcast with the intention of creating a happy hour feel a place to relax, enjoy yourself, laugh, and maybe learn a couple of things. And honoring that, I'm going to keep this short and to the point. Reproductive rights are human rights. And access to safe medical procedures needs to be respected and protected by our government. Period. Period. Yes. In fact, The United Nations recognizes violations in reproductive rights as actual torture. Actual torture. And you know what else? The UN also recognizes the access to safe and affordable water as a human right. And the United States government does recognize that water is essential to live. However, access to safe and affordable water isn't a constitutional right, which is kind of wild I had no idea and in fact two million Americans live without access to safe drinking water insane really fucking scary and by now I know what you're thinking where the fuck are you going with this and and I will tell you 
Have you ever heard of the lead crime hypothesis? The lead crime hypothesis is a belief that long-term exposure to lead can lead to higher crime rates because of the effects lead has on the brain. This hypothesis is part of a growing scientific interest in whether or not environmental toxins affect behavior. So fascinating. I'm so excited for this episode. I know. It's very sciencey and mm-hmm. it's super interesting. So before we delve into both sides of the lead crime hypothesis, I'm going to take a moment to cite our sources. And per usual, all of these are on our episode description. We always say our sources and list our sources. Out of respect for all the researchers and people who actually do the hard work. Scientists. <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> So I read an article um, on niskincenter.org. There's another article from uswateralliance.org, an article from historyofyesterday.com, a page from the World Health Organization, and an article from theconversation.com. And I read an article... Um, from newsbreak.com, the lead crime hypothesis, your children, lead exposure, and crime rates. And I also read a meta-analysis. I'll be honest. I read some of a meta-analysis by the University of Glasgow called the lead crime hypothesis a meta-analysis. Oh, sounds very smart and fancy. It was over my head most of the time. <laughs> um, okay, I know you've all been waiting for this. Without further ado. She said it. Mm-hmm. I know. I, th- I know some people are like, wait a minute. I haven't heard it yet. So there you go. That was for you. We're giving the fans what they want. Mm-hmm. And they want as many without further ados as possible. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what is lead and how does it affect your body? Lead is a naturally occurring metal that's found in the Earth's crust. It also happens to be highly toxic. Lead is used and has been used for a number of different things, dating all the way back to Roman times. Lead pipes were used for sanitation and water delivery systems. Lead is in stained glass, paint, pipes, solder. And solder is, you can solder two pipes together, You can um, sometimes use solder for certain jewelries or stained glass, Mm -hmm. car batteries, cosmetics, gasoline, toys, and even eating utensils. Oh, great. Yeah. So during this research, I learned (laughs) that in the 1500s, the European upper classes thought tomatoes to be poisonous. It seems random, I know, but just like stay with me. Follow me. I know. I saw your face. You're like, what the fuck kind of tangent? Okay. Just seems like one person would have eaten one. (laughs) And then that, I don't know. Okay. Okay. So it turns out that lead is absorbed better through acidic mediums. That makes sense. Yes. And tomatoes are highly acidic. And the upper classes in the 1500s in Europe ate with lead utensils and plates. 
So therefore, Mm -hmm. when they had tomatoes on their plates and eating them with their lead utensils, the tomato would absorb the lead from the plates Mm -hmm. and then they would eat the tomato and then boom, fucking rich people started dropping dead from lead poisoning and they just thought it was the tomatoes. Wow. I mean, technically, if you, it is a tomato. (laughs) It's the tomato. You're going to blame this on the tomato? (laughs) No, I love tomatoes. Don't blame the tomato for this. I am pro-tomato. I'm offended by this anti-tomato propaganda that we're spreading, <laughs> for starters. Um, also, this is that's kind of why I don't like using aluminum foil on acidic things, which I know it isn't the same thing, but that's just where my mind went. It feels weird to wrap something acidic with foil. Yeah, I, I feel like that does too. I actually just came across an article that I chose not to read out of Ignorance's Bliss about is aluminum foil safe to cook with? And I was like, nope, just going to keep on <laughs> living on the edge dangerously. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling. <laughs> I cannot deal with this I can't. fucking added onto my life right now. I cannot Mm-mm. also be worried about aluminum foil right now. I'm one more bad news away from a full mental breakdown. So aluminum oh. foil will be the straw that breaks this fucking camel's back. <laughs> um, so just like with everything, lead exposure makes a difference. Immediate high exposure to lead can lead to convulsions, coma, and death. But low exposure over a long period of time doesn't necessarily cause death. So this is not a situation of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It What doesn't kill you makes you uh, extremely antisocial. Sadly, children are four to five times more susceptible to lead poisoning, and it's for a couple different reasons. Children are more likely to have the hand-to-mouth movement or put things in their mouth or put their mouths on things that they shouldn't, such as mm-hmm. windowsills painted in lead paint, baby cribs painted with lead paint, picking things up off the ground that might have lead in them, putting them in their mouths. That is one way. My daughter legit left teeth marks on her crib. <laughs> so did mine. I So scary. <laughs> one of my kids never put anything in his mouth. And one of my, my daughter can't keep anything out of her mouth. <laughs> so... It's, it's interesting. We moved into a house when my son was about uh, six months old. And the people that lived there before us had two boys. And on the blinds in the living room, there were teeth marks. It was kind of like a growth chart. <laughs> the older they got, the higher the teeth marks went up. It was kind of cute. <laughs> I mean, I knew the family, so it was cute. If it was a stranger, I would have been like, oh, I don't know what's happening What's going here. on in this bedroom? Why are there – everything's chewed on. They have a bunch of feral children trapped in this room, and they're trying to chew their way out. (laughs) Lead is also absorbed faster in children by their bodies Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even faster in undernourished children. And I found this to be just as terrifying as it is interesting. Undernourished children most often have a vitamin deficiency, So when lead is exposed to a child who has a calcium or iron deficiency, the lead is absorbed at a much higher rate. And the lead poisoning most often occurs in underprivileged communities. 
because those underprivileged communities suffer from food insecurity, which most of the time often leads to undernourishment. So it's like kind of like this vicious cycle of lead poisoning and under um, nourished community. And it just keeps going around and around. It's, it's mm-hmm. awful. I also heard, maybe you touch on this in a minute, but um, more impoverished communities also have typically higher traffic, which can also lead to more lead there in those communities. Yes, I absolutely do. Okay. At lower level exposures, lead can cause insidious and almost no obvious side effects. When lead is ingested, it's distributed evenly throughout the body, and it's also stored in your bones and teeth, which for women can be released when you're pregnant and um, be absorbed by the fetus. Oh my God, I didn't need, oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Once in a developing brain, it can cause reduced IQ and other learning differences and non-cognitive issues like inability to tolerate stress, inability to take responsibility for one's actions, impulse control, decreased attention span, violence, and increases in antisocial behavior. Not to mention renal failure, hypertension, damage and damage to reproductive organs. It's believed that the neurological and behavioral side effects of lead are irreversible. So now that we know that lead is um, extremely terrifying, Mm -hmm. let's find out where we could be exposed to lead. There's really two main sources of lead that scientists believe correlate with crime waves or higher crime rates. The first is in the early plumbing systems, which used lead pipes. And the second is leaded gasoline. So lead pipes have been used way back, like I said previously, to the Roman days. Um, I believe that there was, there's on record that Romans were getting lead poisoning and dying from that. But I'm going to focus more on the late 1800s in the United States. Water and sanitation systems were built using lead pipes and come where lead pipes are comes lead exposure. Mm -hmm. So scientists hypothesized that lead was responsible for altering neurological and behavioral patterns in children who drank from these pipes. And then those children then grew up to um, live in as adults in the 1920s to mid 1930s, which if you know, was kind of a major crime wave in the United States. That would have been like the era of um, Bonnie and Clyde and a lot of organized crime. And just, it was a, it's a, it was a major crime wave. And everybody started showing their ankles. They went wild. It was the lead and ankles. It was. It was the lead that probably led them to those cute haircuts and short skirts. <laughs> yes. So some scientists hypothesized that because of the plumbing systems containing lead in the late 1800s leading up to the 1920s and 30s um, could be a major factor in that crime wave. Mm -hmm. Two scientists by the name of Fagenbaum and Mueller focused on cities that were close to lead refineries because transporting lead pipes was really expensive 
Mm-hmm. And rather than hunt down cities that transported lead pipes, the likelihood of a city that was already close to refinery was high that they would have lead pipes because it was less expensive right to transport. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Then out of those cities, they isolated cities whose drinking water was more acidic mm-hmm. than the other cities in the area. Because the more acidic the water is, the more lead is leached from the pipes. Just right. like tomato, tomato. Beautiful tomatoes. <laughs> I'm not trying to villainize tomatoes. Um, well, I don't know. I, I mean, you say one thing, but then your actions prove otherwise. <laughs> this is the not. This is the lead crime theory episode, not the we hate tomatoes episode. I never said I hated tomatoes. <laughs> so the results of this study found that. Places that use lead pipes had a crime rate rate that was 24% higher than places that didn't use lead pipes for water and sanitation purposes. And on average, cities with lead pipes that had acidic water had higher crime rates. So this is very interesting. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting. Around 1950, they pretty much altogether stopped using lead pipes for plumbing systems. So if you bought a home that was built before 1950, check those pipes. Because as a homeowner, you are responsible for changing out those pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did read in one of these articles that um, part of our part of our current administration idea or plan to get more jobs is to change out a lot of these cities that still have lead pipes so maybe Mm -hmm. hopefully that actually happens and we can get some some better pipes to these communities that that really need it i mean yeah that would be a win-win people need well-paying jobs people need clean water yes so i don't see the downside but i'm sure somebody will find it (laughs) yeah like it's Some fucking asshole's going to oppose that, I know. What this made me think of, just based on the times you're mentioning, I Mm -hmm. also, um, in one of the articles that I read, it was just a brief little blurb about how, along with lead being introduced into all these various things, as you talked about before, how it's in paint and it's in this and that and the other, I read that somebody had done a study where I think it was around the 50s, um, all of these rural barns were repainted with lead Mm -hmm. paint. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, there was also spikes in those communities that had painted all of these properties with lead-based paint, which was like a big spike for rural communities versus the pipes in the cities. And I just thought that that was also a fascinating little uh, side quest that I went on, even though I wasn't actually researching the side of the argument. You know, we're just... We decided to present the information on both sides, and it's a. We talked about this earlier. It's such a fascinating topic for discussion because there are on both sides of this argument. It, it's it's compelling, and mm-hmm. um, I didn't necessarily include paint because it wasn't one of the major factors. But mm-hmm. like you said, there are studies done that places that had a ton of lead paint, crime rates went up. Yeah. And think about schools painted with lead paint and all of this shit. Like, holy hell. Yeah. 
Like, like literally everything was covered in lead. Um, do you know why they added lead to paint? No. They added it to accelerate the drying process and durability, to maintain durability and add moisture resistance. And it was cheap. Mm-hmm. So we discussed this before and we were saying lead was like the mayo. Mm-hmm. You just add it to whatever you want and it seemed to stretch it out <laughs> somehow improve on whatever you added it to but also terrible side effect yeah I mean your barn is gonna last 100 years but you might murder your entire family well it's a give and take <laughs> okay so we also talked about on our previous episode we talked about how 1970s was kind of the peak another the peak of another crime wave in the United States mm-hmm and they, scientists believe on the crime hypothesis side, or excuse me, lead crime hypothesis side, that that wave in the 70s and 80s that dwindled in the 90s and 2000s was responsible, had something to do with the lead exposure. And that's where the gasoline part uh, comes in. So I didn't know this you get gas and you look at the pump and you see unleaded gasoline. And I never thought beyond, ah, unleaded gasoline. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to just go back just for a second about how lead actually got into gasoline. So leaded gasoline started with GM in the 1920s. Uh, GM being the evil money-hungry corporation that they are. Mm-hmm. When they started building cars or trucks, whatever they were, the engines had a problem with knocking. And apparently the knocking would freak drivers out and they would wreck. So to remedy the knocking. <laughs> they... Sorry. I just pictured an old time movie and it's like, oh, oh. And then they just immediately wreck into a tree. Drives into a Dri- tree. <laughs> Off the road. Who's there? My car's haunted. Um, Maybe that's where knock-knock jokes originated. I'm not sure. (laughs) So GM hired a chemical engineer, and because he's actually the devil, I'm not going to say his name because I didn't want to take time to find it in research. Also, if you say his name three times, you'll be murdered by a knocking engine. Christine. What's Mm -hmm. that? Christine Stephen King's car? She's going to be in your driveway. Um, Yeah. So they wanted to find an additive to add to gasoline to stop the knocking. He tried everything like butter and... Mm -hmm. uh, Duh. Obviously butter. The souls of virgins. Whatever they could get their hands on. Baby seals and plastic forks. Oh, they didn't have plastic forks then. Um, The tears of kittens. (laughs) Whatever they could find. Yes. Uh, But they landed on lead because it was more profitable. And... um, they basically lied to the public about how unhealthy it was and the health risks of lead until workers in their New Jersey factory became seriously ill and or died after processing the gasoline with lead in it. Um, so eventually, after GM made millions and billions of dollars off the backs of people who were poisoned by lead, um, they finally took it off the market and they stopped selling leaded gasoline. And that is why at the pump, your gasoline says unleaded. 
And this is also where radio DJs got the phrase, get the let out. Yes. (laughs) And that's the title of this episode. Um, okay, so after they took gasoline, leaded, leaded gasoline off the market, scientists believe that the damage was already done because a whole entire generation of children had been <laughs> lead poisoned, basically. Mm-hmm. So the studies found that exposure to lead in the, in, uh, the 40s, 50s, 60s led to the high crime rates in seven, into 70s and 80s, and then once they took lead gasoline off the market that caused the crime rates to decline into the 90s and 2000s. So a study done in Rhode Island found that children who lived near busy roads had higher BLLs, which is blood lead levels. Say that 20 times fast. Than those of children who didn't live near busy roads. So when you drive and you use leaded gasoline, the exhaust expels from your car which contains lead and when it comes out it basically falls by the roadside and gets absorbed into the dirt which then you know kids are walking home kids are playing in their yard all of that stuff and they're exposed to lead Mm -hmm. they in 1990 they tested preschoolers that lived near a busy road in Rhode Island and they found that they were exposed to lead and they quantified the BLLs in their blood and the average was 3.0 uh that's a measure of their BLLs and which this I find super interesting and this goes back to um n- nutrition is so the average of all the kids was 3.0 but the children that were of lower socioeconomic status were 4.5 BLL. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, excuse me, the average was 3.8. I'm sorry, math. So the kids that were of a lower socioeconomic status were 4.5. And those of a higher socioeconomic status were 3.0 even making the average 3.8 of all the preschoolers. And they determined the socioeconomic status by who qualified for free school lunch and who didn't. So the Mm -hmm. kids that basically qualified for free school lunch were at a lower socioeconomic status. They had a higher BLL and the ones that did not qualify, which meant that they were at a higher socioeconomic status, had a lower BLL. And they found that this one, basically one point difference between the two groups, the amount between 3.0 and 4.5 was enough of difference that the kids with the higher BLL, the blood blood lead levels, levels, Mm were 6% likelier to get suspended from school and they had 57 percent chances of higher chances of being put in a juvenile detention by the time that they were young adults and Mm -hmm. those statistics and percentages just continue to carry on into adulthood more likely to commit a crime more likely to be incarcerated they were 6% likelier to be suspended in school as they got older and 
just that one point difference between the BLLs I thought was so fascinating. Just that's all it takes is that one little point. And I think that this was the same study where they said that if there was um, intervention with the child at a young age, then mm-hmm. they, through counseling and outreach, they were able to um, kind of adjust mm-hmm. to help with those issues, correct? Yes. And But what I find interesting, and it kind of goes back to like lead poisoning, the side effects could, could not be aud- uh, obvious. So it's maybe you just think, oh, well, I have a high activity child or they'll grow Mm -hmm. out of this or this has something to do with, you know, our um, economic status or family income or had something. I don't think that they realized it had to do with potentially lead poisoning, that maybe it was something else. So maybe they didn't get intervention uh, in time. Well, yeah, I don't think that in the, I don't think that in, I mean, the, the lead crime theory is a newer theory. I don't mm-hmm. think that when issues with people suffering from lead poisoning began, people had any idea that it was even something that would, you know, be there. People yeah. did not know that this existed. It's just like when people found out that asbestos was poisonous, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, or apparently like baby powder, vaginal mesh, cigarettes, sometimes coffee and eggs, butter or margarine, depending on the decade. Um, wait, what what else? I know Um, there's more, uh, uh, rubber tires. They have found that a study done on playgrounds that had rubber tires or like trees, swings Mm. made out of rubber tires Mm -hmm. or the you know the 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 rubber chip mm -hmm. things led to higher rates of cancer in children than children that didn't go to playgrounds with rubber tires they're like a major carcinogen Mm. don't love that no so like i'm never touching my tires thanks for telling me that right now thanks thanks for telling me that right now (laughs) you just rotated all four your tires without (laughs) gloves With my teeth. Yeah. With <laughs> you, my fucking mouth. You licked mouth. them clean. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> In order to conserve water, you licked your tires clean. Um, they did the same exact study a decade later in 2000 and found that the lead and the BLL levels were lower in the same age kids. So lead does um, reduce over time. Mm-hmm. And that's why they believe that the over time, over the next 20 years after the 70s, that the le- the less amount of lead that was exposed in the environment, the less amount of um, antisocial behavior and lower crime rates. So I thought um, that was super interesting. And that's just a short, there's a ton of studies. I just picked two. You could um, literally talk about this for 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm th- and thank goodness it does leach out of this environment relatively quickly, and it's not like Marie Curie's journal. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about radium for a sec? Because that shit doesn't go away ever. <laughs> no. Oh my god, the episode that we did on that haunts me. <laughs> so freaked out. So that was one uh, side of the lead crime hypothesis, and now Tiffany is going to present the other side talking about what other factors might have contributed to the 
um, declining crime. Okay, great job. And um, yeah, this is just such a fascinating topic. Feel free to interject. Uh, So there are critics of the lead crime hypothesis, as we've kind of mentioned. In my opinion, in my research from what I found, the main thing that critics against this theory seem to point at is that there are most likely many factors that have led to the decrease in crime rates. Hmm. And I do have a Led Zeppelin saga in my head now, so it's it's a, I'm a little bit distracted. Go for it. Get it out. Think about what if the, wait, Hindenburg, is that the name of the Zeppelin that blew up? I think so. So they were made out of lead? What if we just rode in those instead of airplanes? Okay, anyways, it's fine. (laughs) I don't, I'm so distracted right now. Okay, so there are many different factors that um, studies point to when it comes to the decrease in crime rates. Because of the overlapping of these factors, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to untangle the web of social as well as environmental elements that are in play. If the decrease in crime was a cocktail, it would be a Bloody Mary, not a rum and Coke. There's lots of shit in this is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. A little bit of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get into some of the other factors that might have contributed to the decrease in crime. Examples of other wide-sweeping factors that most likely have an effect on crime are educational reforms that took place in the 70s, as well as improvements in nutrition and healthcare that also happened around that time. Hmm. Because of the timing of these events, it's very hard to separate them and clearly examine the data. Right. So that obviously would... um, have caused a decrease in crime after the 70s. Right. Drugs may also play a factor in the decline in crime in more ways than one. For starters, the crack epidemic that happened around the 1980s probably helped fuel crime rates in certain areas. And now that that has been tamped down, or I guess I should say replaced by opioids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say That helped reduce crime rates in the 90s. Yeah. So from the 80s to 90s, there was a reduced crime rate in certain areas that unfortunately experienced issues with addiction to crack. Right. Um, On the flip side of this, of the, the drug coin... That's a weird phrase. On the flip side of this, an increase in um, over-the-counter medications to help treat people with physical and mental health conditions may also contribute to a more peaceful society. I can relate to that. In some ways, drugs are obviously hurting people, but when drugs in the form of medications are prescribed in the right way, Mm -hmm. it can help reduce people committing crimes. For obvious reasons. And this is a newer concept and there's actually not a ton of research on it. I think it's just something that researchers and sti- scientists are kind of keeping an eye out to to watch for that correlation in a decrease of crime, you know, along with the um, medications. I, I just found that super interesting, though. I think it's super interesting and I can I can totally relate to that. Uh, and also tracking crime rates is a long game. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't, yeah. it's over decades and it's, it's, yeah, you know, so. There also used to be cocaine and Coca-Cola. So I'm assuming 
that was a weird time. Well, this might be an be unpopular around. opinion, but uh, let's bring it back. Bring it back? Why okay. not? I, you know what? I'll be the pro cocaine and, co- <laughs> and Coca-Cola stance. If that's what we're doing here, fine. If that's that's the hill this podcast is going to die on, you know what? Fine, Cassie. <laughs> um, there has also, along this vein with drugs in society, um, people have also reduced alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. which I, I mean, I suppose is good. I mean, it's not good for our business. It's not good for the this podcast, but <laughs> for so, I guess I'll take uh, it's fine as long as society benefits. I think what is it? 8 I think it's 15 drinks a week for men and 8 drinks a week for women is considered like an overconsumption. Anything above that is considered 15 drinks a week, I think, is a lot of drinks a week. I, I, I know 8 is a lot. Like at some weeks when we record, I the only cocktail I have is the one we have when we record. Yeah, I think that if you, I mean, I don't know. It depends. Maybe on it's you four. Ask. Maybe I doubled it for my own personal <laughs> consumption. <laughs> okay. Anyway, she, she doubled the study. I'm sure own. this is not what you meant by interject at any time. <laughs> When I said interjected any time, I didn't mean bring up random facts that are false. Yeah. Right? But let everybody know that I could possibly be a binge drinker. <laughs> it's fine. I only have five drinks a night on work on weekdays. <laughs> okay. Another theory is that a generation that did perpetrate a lot of the violence is aging out. Mm-hmm. And this might have a small effect in the drop on crime. But even this, to me, it's fascinating. And also, like, why are certain generations far more prone to violence than others? Yeah. Which I guess would have social as well as environmental factors Cultural relating. factors. Yeah. But Parenting also could, factors. That also could just lead back to lead, though. Mm-hmm. I mean. It doesn't necessarily disprove that it's lead. It's just like, why is this generation? Maybe because they were being poisoned. Yeah. Everybody was drinking more. Society normalized a certain level of violence. Yeah. Racism was acceptable. Sexism yes. was acceptable. Yes. What a time to be alive. Sounds like a blast. It sounds, I mean, for not for us, for somebody. <laughs> um, there was also a controversial study that concluded that legalizing abortions helped to reduce crime rates. This one study conducted by Stephen Levitt and John Donahue isn't enough to really make any conclusive calls on that. Basically, they made the same assertions as the lead crime theorists, and their charts also matched up. Increased abortions led to a decrease in crime. And we did not time this episode to bring this up. Mm-mm. Um just happened that way I I don't think that one study would prove anything one way or the other I just thought it was another um kind of fascinating study that I wanted to add and I don't I don't really have a huge comment on that but except for don't control people's bodies so moving on although I read conflicting things in different articles I don't think changes in policing should totally be ignored There has been an increase in police presence, 
better evidence gathering, and advancements in DNA technology, which means more arrests and more crimes being solved. And our hope would also be that means less innocent people behind bars, but I know that's not always the case. No. And it could be that um, better evidence collection in DNA could be a deterrent for, mm-hmm. for crimes. I did read that... In one of the articles, they said that capital punishment wasn't a deterrent, but more people behind bars was a deterrent. Hmm. Okay. And that we um, expanded our police force across the United States by such a high rate that now people don't get away with as many crimes or also they're catching violent perpetrators faster that would have been repeat offenders. There's just, it's like I've been saying, it's just this complicated, there's just a lot of moving parts here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, also my last little bit of a factor, (laughs) the garnish of this, uh, crime cocktail. Some people think that technology keeps people off of the streets, which results in less violent crime because I guess we're all isolated and alone and not going outside and breaking the law. Interesting. But I would also assume if this were the case, there is an increase in cyber crimes. I was just going to say, I think people would just transfer street crime to cyber The criminality. Crime. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that it's kind of a, a complicated um, conversation. It is very complicated. What would they, what would a smart person say? It's nuanced. I already said it's nuanced. Did you? So, well, you are you. the, You're one welcome. of the smartest people I know. So that makes Congratulations. sense. <laughs> so it might, and it might just be all of these factors working together. As we can see with <laughs> the um, lead crime theory, it's a nuanced situation. I wrote in my notes here. There may be a little of this and a little of that, mm-hmm. but none of the ideas that I've already talked about necessarily discredits the lead crime theory. The one thing that I did kind of find um, that discredited this theory was a meta-analysis by the University of Glasgow. This analysis looked at 24 studies on the lead crime theory and found bias in the studies. So I read part of this very long paper, and then I read an article talking about it. Um, And first of all, it had certain criteria that the papers that they used in their study had to meet to make their study, which means that it didn't use the full scope of, of papers available on the subject because they had to meet a certain criteria to even qualify for the meta-analysis. Meta, meta um, the paper concluded that there was bias, and this bias caused studies to overstate the percentage by which lead had affected crime rates. And from what I understood, and I could have misunderstood something here. It was it was a lot for me. But um, part of the issue that they took was that the data set used for lead crime theory was not an was not a large enough data set. And if the data set was expanded, the percentages weren't as high mm-hmm. as what was shown in the lead crime theory. And then there was also, Um, When it came to the studies themselves, studies that disproved the lead crime theory were not published because that's boring. Mm -hmm. And um, which this um, led to a very one-sided pro-lead crime theory argument. 
Okay. So that is what I gleaned from this um this analysis from Glasgow University. Uh got it cuz I kind of do. Yeah. I and I, I think at the end of all this all of our research and putting it together, I don't think it's just one thing. I think the lead crime hypothesis is a good one. Mm-hmm. And I think yes, maybe perhaps lead poisoning led to higher rates in violent crime mm-hmm. but I, I i just don't think it's one all be all end all i think mm-hmm. there's like you said there's a lot of moving parts and there was some cultural changes happening and some um like the um doubling the police force i i know that um during a certain administration in the 80s um, police budgets were increased by almost triple Mm -hmm. um and yeah better nutrition i think it all i think it all it would be interesting to find out what it is i don't think it's one specific thing i think it's just like the serial killer conversation where is it nature or is it nurture Mm -hmm. and i think for most things Everybody always wants a one size fits all answer. They want mm-hmm. it. They want to just be able to point at one thing and say, let's just fix this one thing because that's mm-hmm. it. But I think it's both. I think it is. I do think that slowly being poisoned by lead is <laughs> not, not good. good for anyone. And if you look at what was going on in California, in particular in the 70s, it would make sense because there was so much driving mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Like we're a kind of a state known for driving. Mm-hmm. I think that uh changes in culture obviously mm-hmm. had an effect i think that i think that it, i think that it really is a little bit of everything yeah um but i do think that some things might play a bigger role like i think that the lead in my personal opinion is i do think that the lead poisoning that happened was a bigger factor than some of these other things i i agree you know cuz you have to think even the tomato story i'm going to oh my god go <laughs> Here she goes, everybody. So if you have a tomato <laughs> listening right now, I would say turn off the podcast. Okay. So even the tomato thing, it came down to the upper classes having, you know, quote, fancier utensils made out of lead products. Mm-hmm. And the lower classes had, you know, the unsophisticated products made out of wood. And it just came down to that little factor, one made out of wood, one made out of lead, and it caused death. And also the ruling class probably felt less inclined to follow law in the first place. Right. As is, it always is. Yeah. If you, (laughs) you know that if you're rich, you don't have to follow laws. That is basically a rule, the golden rule. (laughs) It is the golden Whoever rule. has the gold makes the rules. Wait, I think I got that from Aladdin. Um, it's true. Thank you, Aladdin. <laughs> I, I'm always citing my sources here. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a bunch of different things. I would it's interesting. It's an interesting topic to kind of delve into when you have some time and you're like, hmm, I wonder why crime rates were so high in the nineteen seventies. And another thing is like Correlation is not causation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things could be happening at the same time, Mm -hmm. but they are not, one is not necessarily the cause of the other. It just is, 
the natural progression of life. Uh, getting better nutrition, getting better health care. Mm-hmm. Unless just everybody decides, let's move backwards. And then the government <laughs> does that. Because that also happens sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine. you got to laugh to keep from crying, honestly. <laughs> I'm fine. But in most ways, it's progress. And you'll see better nutrition, better education, better health care, mm-hmm. better quality of life which would lead to a general decline in de- in crime because people are generally doing better. Absolutely. So they don't feel the the need to cause certain types of crime because yeah. desperate people do desperate things. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And that is been modeled in, in my own life. Um, I have some family members that, you know, have made some mistakes and it was uh, out of desperation and it's, my family member who was convicted of a crime. It was a nonviolent crime, mm-hmm. um, which I never thought about violent. I mean, I've never really thought. And I think when we talk about the, at least me personally, when I talk about like the lead crime hypothesis, I'm talking about specifically violent crimes, not like petty, petty crimes. Well, I think that violent crimes are the target of most of these studies. Yes. Yeah. So, which is yeah. also hard to even get a good data set on because not mm-hmm. all violent crimes are, first of all, designated violent crimes. It's all different based on, I guess, the jurisdiction. And then also, mm-hmm. not all crimes are reported. Mm-hmm. So, there's just a lot to it. It's just such a hard thing to study. And then, like I said before, all of these things overlapping each other, this web of all these different factors affecting people. It's just, I mean, it's just you could go down a rabbit hole for hours and hours, which I kind of did. Yeah, it's it's wild. It is wild and crazy. <laughs> well, this is this is us doing science, so you're welcome. Yeah, everybody, I hope- everybody that's screaming, go back to ghost stories. <laughs> Honestly, they probably are. <laughs> um. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed our um, Science Gets Weird episode. Oh my gosh, there's thunder and lightning right now. Oh, holy hell. What is happening to the world? The world is a terrifying place. Good gravy. I'm going to tighten up. I'm going to snuggle up in my emotional rope. Actually, my husband, when I wear this, he calls it my Lebowski sweater because it looks, it's like the dude. Um, anyways, all right, let's end it on, on the dude. That's a great place to end, end it. Um, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for listening and, um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back with another one and done after this episode. Um, so don't forget to love yourself, lock your doors and listen to your gut. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And no tomatoes were harmed in the making of this podcast. (laughs) Honestly, we love tomatoes. I love tomatoes.